Welcome to Liberty's Live. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nancy. And, and we, we are, are the globalist's worst nightmare. We're homeschooling Christian mothers, and we are doing our part to build the kingdom of God on the earth by bringing liberty and responsibility home. We're so glad you're here. Good morning, Nancy. Hi, Jamie. So today on Liberty's Live, we are, we've got our educational commonwealth on the brain. We have been uh, meeting for months now weekly to uh, put together an educational option that really grows a community. And really at the heart of what we're creating is is a community that loves God and and serves him and honors the agency of every participant and and believes in the power that every individual has to do something great or to be great and to fulfill their potential and we want to support that and um, we want to talk about what forms we use in order to create that? What are the principles that we utilize to um, create that kind of an educational environment? And also just talk about some of the problems and reasons why people might want to consider doing this themselves. It can be a big jump to consider going outside the mainstream. Although with the events of the last year or so, people obviously were sort of forced into uh, to having to reconsider and take a look at what was going on with their children's education as they were sent home for a time. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people didn't like it, but a lot of people did. But there were many who were like, I love having my kids home, but I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so Right, it was crisis schooling. Crisis schooling is not the same thing as, oh, this is what I'm choosing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I've uh, been watching what's happened just locally here in the various counties. There's been lots of discussion about what's going to happen next year. And in the midst of this, you know, this crisis of the last year, they have concocted, and I say they, I'm not sure exactly who the they is, but I know it's not my local school board because those people aren't actually even that smart. Well, no offense to them, but like I've listened to their comments and they're not, they're not big thinkers. They're not bringing ideas to the table. They're just bringing agendas to the table. So anyway, they, whomever that might be, is concocted the plan that this is the year that they implement critical race theory, not just here, but everywhere. Okay, guys, this doesn't, in real locally run schools, you don't randomly see every single school across the country come up with the same idea at once. That's not what free thinking looks like. That's what agenda-driven uh, programming looks like. That wants <laughs> to. Put, yeah. It reminds me of when they've shown those clips where they strip, you know, together all of the little news clips from the local news station all over the country and everyone's using the exact same script. Um, that's happening in schools too. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen that guys, that's, <laughs> that might be one of the single most um, eye opening things. Like 
if if you haven't seen that, if you sit down and you watch television that's real television or whatever, like local streaming, and you think you're going to catch the local news and you think there's something novel happening, it's not. It is absolutely a script. It's, it's a product of the public education system too, but because just look at the way that the public education is set up you have and you know even a lot of charter schools and the way that a lot of they're not really changing the philosophy much you have a bunch of desks that face the front of the room and a teacher tells you what to think they tell you the things and you pay attention and take pertinent notes on some facts and then they want you to be able to repeat those back on a multiple choice you know quiz or test there isn't, yeah. there isn't novel, you know, digesting of information. There isn't questions and exploration. It's how do I regurgitate what they want me to hear? Well, and we um, discussed this in Thomas Jefferson Education. Oliver and Rachel DeMille have really elucidated this idea in leadership education. You can use either name, TJ Ed or leadership education. Um, but they have really stressed that leadership education is not about teaching kids or anyone what to think. It's about teaching people how to think. It essentially honors agency in that sense um, because we're, you're not turning your students into objects to be acted upon. If you're just teaching someone what to think, you're assuming that they they have to think that or else like what's the or else you know or else there could be freedom <gasps> what do you know there could be freedom. well and let's even just bring this up it's it can be helpful to you know the first question people always ask when it comes to homeschooling and they're wanting to transition to that is what do i do what curriculum do i get well it's not even get what curriculum do i buy Right, right. So, and Sarah McKenzie's fun to talk about this. She says, curriculum is not something you buy. Curriculum is what you teach. I like how she, she kind of flips that around. But I also like thinking, um, you know, we go straight to the application and that's the application level. Oh no, what do I do? How do I fill the time? What are the, you know, what, what, what material do, am I supposed to open up and tell my kids at? So they cannot be behind. And usually that's the, the reason people want to know what curriculum they need to buy. Oh, so my kid's not behind. And then you ask the question, behind what? Behind, behind who? <laughs> right. And I, you know, as you're saying that, I'm having this image of like, I've got to do something to fill the time. It's like, I cannot let my children be bored. You know, I, I have to create enjoyment and entertainment for them. And that is such a dangerous thing when we fill people's time with, with entertainment that disconnects them from themselves and their desires and intuitions. We just have people who um, live these restless lives participating in materialistic endeavors as cogs in a machine. And it's super sad. Like people don't even know what they want. And it's because that has been turned off. They're separated from themselves. Well, I, I like how you bring up that materialistic thing. You, you paired this materialistic image with the cogs in a machine. It's, it's programming people on a conveyor belt to be consumers. We don't know how to do anything but consume. 
if, if our education is a practice in consumption and regurgitation, then all we know how to do is consume, consume more stuff, consume more food, consume more media, consume more programming. You know, there's no creation, you know? And, and so if you're not consuming and you're not creating, the other option is critiquing. Ah. And we have a lot of that going on, right? It's critics sitting around on the sidelines saying, what about this? <laughs> you know, mocking or um, making fun of or satirizing or, you know, editorializing somehow. Like those can be useful things to help us as a mirror, you know, sort of reflect back. But when we make that, um, you know, this is your career is to make fun of. <laughs> well, and that does really go to the heart of a, an issue Jordan Peterson brings up in his book Beyond Order. He talks about how a lot of these um, millennials and, and people that are a little bit younger are really supporting these ideas of communism and socialism by believing that the only place that we have power is is through money, right? It's like money equals power. And so when you think that that's the only way somebody has power, you miss this note, like that does actually create the, the consumption mindset. It creates, it creates the grounds to, you mentioned critiquing. It creates the grounds to say that the, the rich have money and the power, they have all the things. So they're the bad guy. And then everybody else who has less is the good guy or needs more. And it, it just, it emboldens people to speak out hatefully against other groups of people because they feel like there's this righteous cause, but nobody's actually really doing anything about it. They're just grabbing for stuff. Yeah. Gimme, gimme. I can consume more if you give me more. Right. Um, well, and two, we have a, I have one friend who's a great leader in the cause of liberty and she has always called public schools government schools which is what they really are the public doesn't run the schools the public has very little say in what happens in the schools and almost zero say in the curriculum as was explained very clearly by the superintendent in you know the the county just next to mine just last week where he said well we have to do what the state department of education tells us to do with regards to curriculum. We don't get to change from that. So he was, he, was, he was admitting as much, which means that these local meetings are a sham at best, if not outright um, just kind of mean illusion, the illusion of, of contribution to make, a, a sort of a petty like, oh, we'll listen to you for a minute, but we don't have to do anything you say because we don't take up. orders from you. Parents showed yeah. up and testified in our local area against implementing critical race theory for 11 hours. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And, and then the county's like, we're doing this anyway. Partly because they want to. Partly because it's cool. Like, it's cool. It's flashy. It's the, it's the fancy new thing. It's the shiny new way to think. <laughs> Um, we need to have an entire discussion on critical race theory on a separate podcast, perhaps, because that's absolutely that's we got to get deeper into that. But that's not really what we're focusing on today. Today we but just, it's just as, yeah, it's kind of a jumping off place to recognize that people are looking for something different, 
and there are better and different things out there. Yeah, there are like leadership education. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of those principles, those keys of great teaching that a leadership education uh, provides, you know, as a framework for being able to manage the, the flurry and energy that is uh, <laughs> having your children home. Yay. So yep. My, one of my good friends said the best thing, best thing about homeschooling is that your kids are with you all the time. And the hardest thing about homeschooling is that your kids are with you all the time. <laughs> and I think that those are rightly paired. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So, but when we don't feel so much like we have to be the one who we're, who predigests every piece of information and the answers that we want them to have first it releases a lot of that stress and tension honestly i think that's what drew me to thomas jefferson education i heard rachel demille talk at a hecoa conference if you don't know what hecoa is go look it up home education council of america they put on a free homeschool convention at probably twice a year with great speakers from all over. And if you hop on within 24 hours of when that talk was given, you can listen to it for free. Such a service. Anyway, I heard her talk about um, her children as being people who, by the time they were youth, 14 to 16-ish, were, were studying for six hours a day, at least, at the topics of their choice because they wanted to. They were getting the education that they, um, that they needed and that they wanted out of love for that education. And I thought, that is beautiful. I want that. And so hearing about what a good scholar phase looks like, um, that scholar phase is you get a broad, rich, liberal arts education. And, you know, as much as possible because, and DeMille, Oliver DeMille talks about that as being essential to liberty. We need as many people as possible to have a broad, rich, liberal education of 5,000 study hours because it is only that level of, of, of commitment and, and breadth in an education that will allow people to think properly, to think critically, to think with their own brains and minds and hearts, um, to be able to make the connections between hey, what they teach at this school is what people will act and live on for the next 30 years. And that the way that people act and live is the way that they will vote and the way that they will engage in the community. And it will determine, in reality, the level of freedom that we all experience. Thank you for explaining that, Nancy. That was very uh, eloquent. And it is true. Like, look at everybody is everybody looks to somebody else to fix the problem. That's kind of the main issue of our day. It's like, oh, well, it's just the riches problem. It's just the president's problem. It's just, you know, China. It's like, well, whose problem is it really? What are you doing about it besides complaining on social media? Like, what are you doing to, to put forth this cause of liberty? And I'm, I'm, this isn't an accusation. It's a question for reflection, for deep pondering and reflection. I didn't realize how difficult it was 
to make that transition to, to trusting and being able to create a life as I wanted it to be, um, like how the public education had scared me into thinking I couldn't teach my kids, you know, and scared me into thinking, oh, I can't, I, you know, I got to work for the man or whatever. Like, I don't know how to do my own business or I don't know how to do these things. It's like, why? Who taught you that? Well, yeah. even if it wasn't ever explicitly stated, you have, if you went to the government schools, you had many years, more than a decade, probably a couple, where you were supposed to go and regurgitate answers from an arbitrary authority figure and that this was the right thing that you needed to know in order to belong to the human tribe. <laughs> well, and it was also, you were measured and, and told you were worthy or unworthy on your, based on your ability to regurgitate those answers and how quickly and easily you followed instructions. Do we not see some programming there? Even the words like grade, like we grade eggs, okay? We're grading people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's even a little sadness about grading eggs. Like I love to see my little chicken, <laughs> my compilation of a variety of different colors and sizes of chicken eggs. And they're all, they're all delicious and beautiful to me. But like we grade people. We, we say, oh, you're, you're the, the first grade and the second grade. When my people, when people ask me, what grade are your kids in? And they're like, what? I just learn. Let's talk about what I love to learn. Let's talk about what's exciting and, and, and have a conversation. It's not about this number, this arbitrary number. This, yeah, this dorky, I don't even like the word dorky that much, but it is a little dorky. Like when you look at it, back it up a little bit, like, wait, where is the virtue in categorizing people by the year they were born? Well, there's this virtue when you can categorize people and you can put them in a box, little boxes on the hillside, you can better manage people because there are, there's a similar line of human development, right? And so if you can get people at certain times, you can work with them, manage them a little bit easier. It's about human management. It isn't about expanding people's potential and, and really facilitating that. And I would even challenge the notion, I said potential, potential to really have a meaningful, engaged, connected life with people that they love and, and living in accordance with their conscience and, and, you know, their greater vision for, for the, the highest spiritual development and also meeting their material needs at the same time. But like, there's none of that spirit to education. Um, okay, so let's let's circle back around to these these keys of great teaching. Let's circle back. These okay. these are just so. There's you could talk about these for days and days, but we'll just we'll drop them here. And if you want to learn more, you can go read a Thomas Jefferson education, or you can come back and we'll talk about them more, or you can ask us questions because seriously. You could, you could talk about these all day long. Um, okay, these are the seven keys of great teaching as el elucidated by Oliver DeMille. Inspire, not require. That is the trickiest one, man. People have issues with that because they were required. 
to do everything that they ever did. And so the thought of inspiring other people versus requiring them. And Oliver DeMille talks about this. He's like, which one's easier to require someone to do something or to inspire them to want to do it? Uh, definitely easier to require. Yeah. To say, I'll beat you with a stick if you don't do this thing. <laughs> or I'll give you this prize if you do. Like You can tell that it's um, more important to inspire than require by the very nature of thinking about cutting out requiring. There's a fear there. It's like, oh, what, what's going to happen if it's not required? How, how is this inadequate? Like the fear <laughs> totally pumps that require um, idea. And yeah, and it's a fear of of agency. It's a fear of outcomes. Yeah. It's a fear of uh oh failure. Failure is a potential if we are letting people choose. Now I will say there is a place for having a family that has some um, some rules, right? Like this is what our family does. But you can create a family culture in a way that it's a little bit more democratic, that you have conversations, that you're showing them how the rules that you have chosen are for their benefit and for everyone's benefit. You can talk those things out and teach them. It's not just the, oh, this is what you have to do no matter what, no matter how you feel about it. <laughs> we can have a conversation. Yeah. We can wow. Well, and inspiring looks like I mean, you have to do a lot more thinking yourself if you're going to try and inspire. You've got to be engaged. And that leads to the next principle, which is you, not them. Yes. Uh, and what does that mean, Jamie? You, not them is my favorite TJ Ed principle for sure. And it's that you show up and you do the thing. You want your kid to learn to love music, then but you don't play an instrument and you do nothing <laughs> like, okay, well, there's, there's a little problem there. Do you want your children to have a love of reading and of learning and of sucking the marrow out of life? You know, maybe literally, maybe you're really passionate about cooking or, or you love to talk about ideas or you love writing all of the things in our home that I um, encourage with my children they see me doing too and we share them together we're excited it's like look at what i did today you know what did you do today and it's like a little show and tell every day all the time it's great that's and so beautiful yes and so when i heard this you not them thing it was also another way to take the stress off of it if i'm no longer requiring my children to do something how am i going to inspire them I'm going to inspire them by my personal example. And that is so fun because it, it, in, it puts the responsibility back where it always was. I was never responsible for their education. They always were. Nancy, I'm only again, responsible is, for my own. That is a very, that is a foreign concept to a lot of people. Okay, here, welcome to the foreign concept, people. The foreign concept of, I am responsible for my own education what and as a steward over my children i'm responsible to create an environment and an invitation and a culture that encourages them to place importance on education and to um pursue it for themselves because i can't make them be educated we tried you know people try that all the time every single day for to the tune of millions and millions of dollars 
at the government schools to make people get an education. <laughs> but you can't make anybody get an education. You can make them be in the room. <laughs> you you can you can even like try to threaten them that they won't be allowed to be in the room anymore if they don't do this thing. But what what is that? You need to get into this room and you're going to be in trouble if you don't get in this room. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so the you not them says, hey, mom, stop trying to do do education to your kids and start doing education to yourself and discover something that you love and pursue it with with vigor and with passion and and fill in the holes. Are there books you didn't get to read in in your uh, education are there books that you need to read right now to pursue something that's important to you go read those books they talk about um you know let let the afternoons be afternoons are for setting the example so get your stuff done in the morning have some nice show and tell time work together as a family to get get your home set up as a stage for for a, a learning place put the babies down for naps and then you sit in the corner in a prominent place or at the kitchen table and pull out the penmanship and work on your penmanship and see if your kids don't gather around and try their hand at that. Or you pull out the math book and you just revisit some math because you think it's interesting or you want to think it's interesting or you want to know why somebody else thought it was interesting. <laughs> um, or or the the classic literature novel that some other school had to read but you never did and you're gonna you're gonna hone up or maybe it's a business book you know whatever it is sit down and let them see you reading and then be available to them when they come you're not an uninterruptible person you're totally interruptible you're not doing you're doing this for your own benefit yes but you're also doing it for their benefit and when they come and interrupt you you put the book down and you smile and you say how can i help you and let me tell you, that takes effort. I love to focus on things and I feel like motherhood is a, a laboratory for how to be a kind person even when you are not able to focus on anything for more than five minutes. <laughs> anyway, you not them. You not them takes the pressure off and you can also be preparing to be that mentor that your kids are going to need. If you really believe and buy into the idea that your kids are going to get a scholar phase, can you even mentor a scholar phase? Do you even know what that, what that looks like unless you've experienced it for yourself? No. So go experience it. Go see what that looks like. See what that feels like to study hard and long, not because there's a test, not because there's a grade, but because your life work requires that. That's a natural require. That's a cool require. My life's work, my life's mission. And if you don't know what that is, study more until you figure it out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you mentioned mentor, being a mentor for your kids. One of the keys is mentors, not professors, right? Professors, I mean, it depends on some of those smaller humanities kind of classes. We had sort of round the board professors who would really engage in great discussions. But, you know, in my husband's education, in a lot of ways, they'd be in a lecture hall with, you know, 200 or 300 people. And then there's a professor at the front talking. And there's not a lot of engagement. Well, that brings up a good point. If you are going to send your kids to a university, the humanities are able to to personalize a lot better than the sciences. My husband and I had the exact same 
sort of parallel experiences you just described. I was in classes with 15, 20 people and a professor who sat on the desk and talked with us in great deep discussions. By the, by the end of my, my English degree, you know, that was every single hour was some um, really awesome thinker who was publishing, who was writing, who was thinking, who was reading books and who wanted to share that with us. And we were kind of almost ready to actually have a decent discussion with him. <laughs> it's super fun. And you it know, what? So my husband did end up working in a lab on campus and that was where he got mentorship. That was yeah. where he was able to get some things published and to really engage with the science and engage with the process in a different way than he would have. His education would have been totally different without that piece. So mentors, not professors. And how do we you know, apply being a mentor at home? Every week, sit down as a couple, have a meeting about family business and about the kids. And then we meet with every single one of the kids and we talk with them about what are your goals? How are things going with the relationships in the family? How are you, how, you know, how, what are you proud of? What would you like to work on? And we just have a conversation about that. And we, we kind of have a little family mastermind for each child each week. It's like checking in. It's, it's being intentional, in, <laughs> intentional about looking at, at that individual. And that's, you know, we're really describing an, an individual's education, right? Because you can't, it's the same thing with the idea of public health. There is no public health. There's statistics about individual people's health. Mm -hmm. There is no public education. There's statistics about individual people's acceptance or rejection of of what is being taught at uh the the government schools anyway but but every time we try to make collective what is really the work of an individual we miss the point um yeah but mentors we have experience with mentors with piano lessons or with a really great um you know like a tennis coach or a, something like that like the mentor shows up for the individual considers the needs of the individual you know, suggests assignments and then checks back in. There's like accountability involved in mentoring. There's, um, there's someone who's a step ahead, like someone who's invested in you, someone who's personalizing it. And it, you know, for the, for young children, really it is the parents, the parents are the mentors. And, um, for the, you know, as you're, child gets older or they're looking for something outside of you don't have to know everything this is another one of those things where it's like hey you don't have to know everything you don't have to be the expert in everything you can you not them what's important to you and you can find someone else who's youing not theming and ask them to be the mentor for your your kid and people who love you will will help with that and that's kind of what the community we want to build is hey bring all your skills bring all your knowledge bring your vision and, and abilities and let's share that with each other's kids because i'm I do have a mission to fulfill and it involves a little bit of specialization in that, in that way. Yes, we want to have a broad liberal education so that we can understand ideas and make connections. But then after scholar phase, it's, it's depth phase where you go deep on what is yours to do. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So let's, let's look at another one of these classics, not textbooks. Ooh, yeah, this is a fun one. It's so fun. Tell me about your favorite textbook that you ever read. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, I can remember like the mitochondria picture from my 
biology textbook in high school? You know, I will say there were some interesting, I had an anthropology class and I had a human development class. And the things that I remembered were stories that were within the textbooks. <laughs> if there was a story highlighted, but when it was just like a list of facts and figures, I don't remember any of that stuff. Yeah, or some like nasty dry paragraphs explaining things. My, I took two American history classes in high school because the the teacher was so fabulous like she was engaging and she loved history and she knew it and she loved us like that combination of loving the people you're teaching and loving your subject okay we're not here saying that every single public school and every single experience that everyone ever had at public school was evil and bad don't hear that please what we're hearing is what we're trying to say is that the the opportunities for great teaching and great mentoring and great learning are few and far between in public school because there is a systemized programming and agenda and there's not a lot of room for deviation from that without massive consequences for the teacher for the the school for the principal etc okay so i'm telling you about an example of mentorship but even this teacher, because she was teaching us AP US history, she was teaching to the test so that we could do well on that test. And one of her assignments was take this textbook that was probably like what, Hewton Mifflin or something, McGuffey. Uh, no, not McGuffey. Hewton Mifflin. What are some of those other ones? Um, yeah, you're right. I will not yet. Um, Princeton, isn't that one? Anyway. So take this dry textbook written by a committee of 500 people and go pick out of it these 50 terms. And okay, guess which, guess which assignment was the hardest for people to do in that class? It was that one because it was the dang boringest one. Even, even though I actually like finished those assignments, mostly, I don't remember any of that but i remember the stories like you said and i and i learned more about u.s history reading john adams by david mccullough than i did in taking two years of u.s history in high school at a high level because it was written by one person here's how you know it's a classic it's the work of one person who's passionate not a committee maybe two people fine maybe two um but it's not it's not piecemealed into a committee it's the work of, of someone who loves their subject and um, it's written in an engaging style and it's something you can return to over and over again and some, get something new and different out of. So I, I want to read John Adams again. I've read 1776 three times <laughs> because it's so good. It's that good. I have not read my high school US history textbook again. <laughs> I actually didn't even read it the first time. I don't know so. if I read it either. I just took good notes during the lectures. So yeah, so classics, classics are wonderful because they're, they're very much the, the feast. When I make a meal, I'm not, I want to make sure my kids get enough food and I have some picky eaters. So it's a little bit of a stress, but I try to at least have something on the table that everyone can be, ooh, about. If, if that's the, the cut up cucumbers or the, the baby carrots, yay. If that's the homemade rolls, awesome. If that's that they really do love the, the homemade tacos that we have, fantastic. It's not every night that I'm knocking it out of the park, but I try to have something on the table that everyone can enjoy. And that's what's fun about classics is you can read the same classic aloud to your whole family and there's something in it for everyone to enjoy, even you.
And if you're reading a book you're not enjoying aloud, um, stop because that's just poisoning the air. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, pick ones that you love. How many times can we read Charlotte's Web and have immense, beautiful, inspiring insights come to us? I mean, it's just gorgeous. Every time. And the Chronicles of Narnia and uh, the the Hobbit and the Little House in the Big Woods and Heidi and oh, what are some of the other good ones? Oh, George MacDonald. He's I would have never found him if we hadn't homeschooled. George MacDonald writes. He's he. C.S. Lewis looked to George MacDonald as a mentor for how to write. And yes, and Edith Nesbitt was another one that he's like, I want to write something that sounds like Nesbitt before he sat down to do the Chronicles of Narnia. He's like, I want something George MacDonald-y and Nesbitty. So um, it's like fun. The of Winnie the Pooh. Oh my gosh. Uh, just so awesome. Pippi Longstocking. Oh, Winnie the Pooh is just like the sweetest. Like I just laugh and laugh with them and the, the literary genius that is happening on those oh, pages. Such an intelligent book um, or, you know, series of, of a collection of stories. Um, who else is awesome? Kate Sarity. Oh, everything by Kate Sarity is awesome. Did she Correct. write the one about books? Have you read Philomena? Not yet. Is that one good? It is so good. I think that's Kate Sarity or Kate. Yes, it is. Yeah. Philomena is like a short, if you want to, to look, to see what individualized education looks like, and uh, you know family-led education and it's just mm, it's a good little gem of a short book and and it's delightful and it brings everybody together so anyway yeah so classics not textbooks means that you are not it and that really i think speaks to this idea we've talked in the past about specialization and the dangers of it when it comes to liberty textbooks are the educational equivalent of specialization it says that all you need to know about this subject is contained in this book and the only way to learn that subject is by getting a textbook about it whereas classics say no life is whole this work is whole and in this work you can find i mean we did this we did this with just like the scriptures even i'm sitting there with my kids and we're reading the scriptures and and I'm even sometimes even just like the, the kiddie versions of a, of a Bible story, right? And we read a little bit and there's math in there. And so we count the armies or we count the number of people who were healed or we count these things. There's math in there. You have to do math in order to understand the scriptures. And then we, we found that, yes, there's government in the scriptures. There's, um, there's families, there's relationships there's a little bit of geography going on you know like you it's an introduction to all of these things in a holistic way that provides context for meaning when we take the context away and the meaning away all you're left with is like you know you're not connected to the true vine anymore it's just a little leaf hanging out by itself and you've got to chew that leaf up and spit <laughs> it out again that's your education instead of looking at the whole tree and enjoying all of those beautiful connections classics not textbooks okay another one is structured time not content right it's like okay we're gonna do this for a few hours this morning is our our time for studies and then we do it and we go and explore we can say hey why don't you come back and check in with me at the table i want to see what you're working on but it's not like i have to manage every single 
thing that they're exploring. <laughs> yeah. Because you do have a lot of different skill levels going on. And if you can make yourself available during a you know, specific amount of time, then you're not worried about trying to check things off a list at random times during the day when you can't even like, yeah, it contains it, but it also allows for that exploration. It allows for time to fall in love with learning. It allows for multiple intelligences and, and learning uh, styles to happen. And it also allows for sort of that, that habit building of we do this a little every day or these, these times during the day. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, quality, not conformity. Yep. It's like, is that, is that the best that you could do? <laughs> when my kids do copy work sometimes, cause sometimes they'll just go through it. It's like, just to do it. And then I'm like, is that the best you could do? Are you proud of that? And I'm like, oh no, I know I could do better. And then they bring it to me with their beautiful cursive and their little pictures around the edge and, and they're like excited about it. Like, yeah, Sweet. that's, that's what you can do. You're capable of that. I like, I can read this, but I also enjoy and see that you cared on this page, you know, yeah. for sharing that. It really does come down to caring. You know, when, when I taught this class this last year with these um, older scholars, I wasn't interested in their papers looking like each other's papers. I wasn't comparing them to each other. I was comparing them to what I could sense about their own progress and their own ability and the ones who were ready to improve um, and to do their best. I was able to invite them to take a look at their papers and here's what you can do to improve this. And when they took that challenge on to go back and rework it, like there was this added level of accomplishment and, uh, you know, sort of integrity of the work, you know, and, and, a and a beauty in that of, Hey, I'm going to do my very best work because it matters because I care quality, not conformity. Yeah. You're not looking at, um, churn something out that looks like everybody else's. I think this, this is a great principle, especially for writing and for, um, for art. Like I, enjoy the process of doing art with my children and i have been in in art class teaching settings in you know someone else was teaching the this class and it was uncomfortable how much it was let's all conform to this one way of doing this and um there are principles of art and let's try those out there are elements of basic elements of art let's definitely try those out but if we're stressing little kids out about and this is all phase dependent right like there's different ways to apply these based on the phases of learning we haven't really got into those there's core phase love of learning phase and scholar phase um but for little children you want the, them to be exposed to something and to enjoy it so that they have good feelings about it and can decide to pursue it later if they want to in more depth. Mm -hmm. um, but their work is about, like you said, doing their best and not about making it look exactly like this prototype. Well, and I think that that's, you know, the government schools, if you're a little bit more bright, then you're like, oh, this is easy. And I just get the A. It's not really about, you know, was this your best work? Was this something that your heart was in that you were passionate about? Or is it like, I'm just really good at giving the answers that they want to hear? Or am I just really good at, you know, doing just enough and being able to sail by? Um, yeah, I remember even in college, like 
wondering when the professors were going to catch me. I never cheated, but I feel like I cheated myself in the sense that I wrote my papers the night before. I was an English major. All I did was papers, but all I did was write them the night before because I kept getting away with it. I kept getting an A on those papers and I'm like, who's going to ever catch me and say, Nancy, you can do better. And, and I was waiting for somebody else to do that for me. You know, this isn't a video podcast, but I just made a grimace, right? Like, oh. <laughs> Um, and because of the structure of the pace of these courses, this was a private university, okay? But even they had this this structure that was, you know, there's, it was paced and it was speedy and it was, you turn it in and writing wasn't seen as a process. It was seen as a product. Yep. And when, you, and it wasn't seen as a conversation, it was seen as a, a final output, you know, and when that's the the way that you're looking at it, then yeah, you just have to turn it in and move on and whatever grade you got, you got. However good you did, you did. Um, it wasn't till I was writing my master's thesis. Well, and I had a one really great writing teacher too. Um, but there wasn't a ton of, hey, hey, good beginning. Now go do more. <laughs> you know, so. And you're doing that now. You're taking your, your thesis and you're modifying it for a book and adding more heart to it and, and putting it in this beautiful religious perspective, you know. And yeah. So like the sense that. Process. It's not done yet. And I think that that's a beautiful metaphor for ourselves. You know, if we, when we have the stress of turning in a perfect thing or you fail, then we put that stress onto our psyche of you better show up and be perfect or you fail or you're not good enough or you're not going to get what you want in life. When all of that is a lie and a contrivance, nope, we're just works in progress and God is working with us all the time and our choices matter and quality matters but looking exactly like other people isn't the thing that matters anyway next next key simplicity not complexity um simplicity not complexity i think this is about sustainability in a home setting but about in other places too like if you're worried about you can hear the chatter of my my oldest and youngest I know my kids are starting to um, too. Simplicity, not complexity is, is, hey, don't make this harder than it really is. It really is read and discuss education. Leadership education is read, 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 and discuss, 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 is what Oliver DeMille says. And it is. It, you don't have to complicate it. You don't have to make a massive matrix or a list of this is the way to get this done. You know, And textbooks lend to complexity because they you know, it's somebody else's way of thinking about it and organizing it and making a grand scheme. When simplicity says, just pick up the next right book. What book are you inspired to pick up next? Read that one and let's discuss it. And then you can jump to something different after that. Simplicity, not complexity. Because here's what, here's what happens when you make it complicated. You give up and you stop doing it and you send your kids back to government schools. But if you make it simple, it can just be part of your life and simplicity not complexity doesn't mean you're going to dumb things down it just means all the things that we might think of as essential to education might not be <laughs> and that that complex you know scheme i did this my my first year when i was starting out with homeschool i was like okay we're gonna have to do an hour a day of math and an hour a day of science and an hour a day like for a five-year-old 
and an hour a day of, of uh, reading. And we're going to be Einstein, baby. Because <laughs> that's what I thought was required of me. That's what I thought it meant to do homeschool, was to do school at home. That's, that's classroom management for 30 kids. I had just one, just my three little kids at that point. 15 minute lessons if you do a lesson yeah just read with her like we got so much more mileage out of just reading some really lovely children's books with beautiful pictures and going on field trips we remember those things i mean i i think she does because she's got a considerably excellent memory but i do i remember reading how to read how to what is it called how to make an apple pie and see the world and we read that book and it was at fall time and we went to the orchards and we counted the number of seeds and we graphed them then in all of the apples that we cut up that that two weeks or whatever and we made an apple pie and my five-year-old made an apple pie it was fun it was super duper fun and uh, memorable and interesting and more or less simple i mean yeah we did have to go on a field trip and that took some coordination but yeah, so drive to an orchard and see a real, real apple trees and talk to the farmer. And it was fun to talk to the farmer and hear what his perspective was about growing his apples. And anyway, simplicity, not complexity. I think we got them all. Inspire, not require, you, not them. Classics, not textbooks. Structure time, not content. Quality, not conformity. Mentors, not professors. Simplicity, not complexity. Brought to you by Oliver and Rachel DeMille and you know your hosts here at liberty's live <laughs> <laughs> so yeah if you want some more help with this check them out check out these programs we'll continue to talk about uh home education because oh sounds like my baby's crying um we're going to talk about home education because the institutions that are set up by the government are not set up in a way that is uh conducive to the individual having and fulfilling their individual missions and purpose in life and and having joy and because the institutions that the government sets up are bent on destroying liberty <laughs> they if you destroy the individual if you destroy the family then you don't have liberty you have statism and the state is in control of everything in case you haven't noticed the government doesn't want you free <laughs> yeah well tyrant's gonna tyrant that's just or responsible thing. free or responsible those yeah. go together that's liberty take up your responsibility and find greater liberty have a fabulous day my friends thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode of liberties live Join us next week for a fresh and relevant discussion on how to live whole and be free.